welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hello. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> okay, I don't even know if that recorded, so I'm going to start this off. We'll get back to where we were. Okay, background, everyone. I'm sitting on a table, middle of a field, literally in Montana. Don't have Wi-Fi to the house that I'm at. I'm running this program that I recently downloaded just so that I could podcast right now. My guest is Aaron Schneider. Welcome to the show again, Aaron. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on. It's like Groundhog Day. Oh, man, that sucks. Okay, well, it happens. So today's podcast is going to be all about arrows front of center and the ongoing debate about front of center, um, which is also known as FOC. Um, there's, a huge, there's a huge growing debate right now within our industry about you know how much FOC you should have on your arrow and also uh you know how much front weight you should have a lot of people are just going crazy on front weight without really understanding what all this means um so more or less what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh two things first thing um at least right now to start first thing is going to be kind of the calculation for foc it's a mathematical equation and pretty much what you're doing is taking uh, your arrow, you're balancing that arrow on your finger or something and finding the place on that arrow where it perfectly balances. And that's pretty much your balance point. Um, if you're looking at an FOC, uh, if you're looking at an FOC, um, like equation, yeah, it would be your measurement A, uh, pretty much from the throat of the knock to the balance point of that arrow. Uh, and then the other part of the equation that you need is the overall length, which is from the cut of the arrow on the front to the throat of the knock. So the FOC percentage is pretty much 100 times A minus L divided by 2 over L. Um, I just got a headache. Yes. So if you don't want to do that, you Google arrow FOC calculator. You type a few things in, measurements that you'll need, and you're going to get what your FOC percentage is. And, you know, for a lot of people, that number is going to be between 8 and I would probably guess most hunting arrows between 8 to 12. Um, and the, really the things that factor into this is what is the what is the weight of the actual arrow itself and then from there when you put point weight in the front obviously if your total arrow is heavier it's going to take a little bit more point weight to get that thing to tip one way um, if the arrow's lighter it'll happen faster and then obviously what you have on the back of the arrow whether it's cresting whether it was types of veins number of veins lighted knock um, the types of components that you have, you know, if you have a bushing in the back and then a lighted knock and a full length, you know, cresting, um, all this stuff starts to factor in. So a lot of people right now are going crazy about wanting it 
what I'm going to say is extreme FOC. Um, so people are really trying to push like a 20 percentile, I think, and we'll get into the what's and why's. But I just, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of want to get my opinion out there on what these numbers mean. Um, and we can talk about some of the other systems that are out there. Um, but from there, I mean, why don't, why don't you jump in to, you know, literally as we were cut off, we were about to this point last time, and, and you were talking about what your FOC measurement is. So what is your FOC measurement? I have, I have no idea, um, and I, I've said this many times. I, love uh, that. I, I don't. I have not checked my front of center in probably well over a decade. Um, the one time I did check it, I had won um, the outdoor state field shoot, Colorado State field shoot, and my FOC was like six percent. Um, I that's was. You remember back in the day with 50 grain hot points, the little red guys dented when you like, you know, thumped them. Um, oh, dude, I want 2312. I want a tur- <laughs> I want a tournament. I want a tournament with 2613s with cool 30 flight mate points. They were blue. Which your FOC was probably three percent. Yeah, maybe maybe two and a half to three percent. And yeah. and there were a lot of pros shooting those and winning tournaments with it. Well, you were one of the a-holes I was copying. It was you <laughs> and maybe Tom Crow. Yes, uh, that's the other one. <laughs> and uh, and that was and that was back in the day where like uh, XX seventy eight super swedges, cosmic eclipses were just coming out. Um, aluminum obviously was the thing to have at that point, and FOC wasn't really what it wasn't the fad it is today, and. I never paid attention to it because, do you know how many horsepower your vehicle kicks out right now? I have no idea. But it gets you to A to B, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, okay. <laughs> well, but, but I there, there is there is one thing I have to say, otherwise I'll probably forget it. But uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, when we were shooting tournaments, we were all about accuracy. We weren't worrying about penetration, um, you know, and how that you know, what you needed to do, you know, what, I guess the, the carrying powder power, the momentum, the, the kinetic energy, it wasn't, it was just about how do we make this arrow be the most accurate. And we found ways to do that with a larger shaft because we were trying to, you know, stretch out our scoring ring possibility. So, I mean, on a hunting side, there is a little bit difference to the equation, that obviously we're gonna to have to d- jump into but yeah things were way different way different well and i think that that this will i mean what you just said falls right along the lines of where we got cut off earlier you asked me what it was earlier and then i started to go off into the fact of what happened when i bumped my arrow weight up it wasn't as much about foc i wanted a heavier arrow and like anything i was shooting um off of my background in target archery, my hunting setup wasn't a lot different. It was it was different, but it wasn't a lot different. And I was shooting pretty fast, fairly light arrow. And I, you know, I, I shot a mule deer, and it wasn't the greatest shot, but it was a good shot. And my arrow basically stopped the moment it hit the deer. And that was kind of a turning point for me to shoot heavier arrows. And so... 
I, I, I focused more on a heavier arrow than I did uh, extreme front of center or front of center. And a lot of times to get the arrow set up I wanted, just for t- by, by the fact of getting the arrow to tune, I had to put some heavy point weight up front. And then over time, uh, I just got to where I was very comfortable shooting you know, 270 to 280 feet per second, and I wanted my arrow to weigh 470 plus grains. You know, depending upon the bow and obviously technology, my poundage, that could have been up to 580 grains, and that also could have varied from 125, well, actually with the aluminum insert, 140 grains up front up to 175 grains up front. You know, so there was varying uh different there's there's a lot of different things that that were in that equation but at no time did i ever really check my foc and i make jokes all the time uh, isaac ailman and i make them all the time about to people of not to get too fucked up because if you there's so many more variables fuck me foc <laughs> foc yeah sorry people um <laughs> foc to, to not get too wrapped up I like in that. Yeah, that's a good FOC because when you think about it if your draw length's 26 inches you probably don't want 250 to 300 grains on the front of your arrow um cuz you're already because it's about gonna, shooting recurve speed <laughs> Yeah, ex- exactly. So you you know and I get so many questions about the um the the foc of of it's like a cure-all right like it's it's uh it's just gonna fix everything and guys will say i'm shooting 400 spine arrows i got a 28 inch draw uh you know i'm shooting 68 pounds and i just ordered a bunch of 250 grain broadheads is that gonna fly i'm like well i need a little more info but i'm gonna go ahead and say no it's not going to you can't just screw that on the front of your arrow and call her good there's a lot of tuning involved and there's a lot of things that i think people need to take into consideration what you're hunting your draw length your poundage uh you know when i say what what animal you're hunting what your effective range is um you know if you're shooting sub 20 yards uh you know things change to where if you're shooting antelope outwards of 60 70 80 yards you know there's a lot of very there's a lot of variables that people need to take into consideration yeah, I agree. And, and I want to talk about a few of the benefits. Okay, so let's talk about a few of the benefits of a, an FOC. Let's just compare um, Let's compare an arrow that has, say, an FOC of 7.5 versus um, an arrow that has 11%. Because this is something that, um, that I learned very quick when I started shooting competitive archery. Um, the arrow that has the, the higher FOC... The benefits to it is when you're shooting with crosswinds, the same arrow, so you factor everything in, same vein, same shaft diameter, all the, you know, same overall weight, just with more weight towards the front of the arrow, um, you'll actually have less wind drift because the point of the arrow leads 
uh, more so than if you have a lower FOC. If you have a lower FOC, a lot of times when you shoot, you can see the whole arrow just literally sailing over with the strong wind. Whereas if you're shooting with a higher FOC, you'll notice that the tail of that arrow may lay, lay a little bit to the side, but the point of that arrow is just tracking. It tracks better. So you, you don't have near um, the horizontal wind drift. You're also going to ma maintain more momentum downrange simply because, you know, you have more weight in the front of that arrow. So, you know, if you have a ballistic chart, which I've built some um, in the past, just, you know, recording speed out of the bow, then speed downrange, the flatter your ballistic characteristics are from point A to point B, when that curve it is not as steep as another arrow, so obviously what's going to make that chart steep if you're, if you're plotting it, your bottom line is going to be distance, zero, 90 meters. The top line is going to be uh, speed out of the bow. So speed out of the bow, obviously your, your, you know, your plotting is going to be at the top of your graph of whatever it is. Say, let's just say 300 feet per second. Then what's the speed at 90? When that arc or line, it's going to be a straight line. When that straight line has a steeper angle, meaning your speed is falling off faster to the longer distance, that's not as efficient as an arrow that has a flatter line. And the arrows that have more weight up front um, are going to have that characteristic of having a flatter trajectory. They're, you know, they're literally doing a better job of maintaining that speed downrange. And when that happens, you know, the, the more you can reduce your deceleration on an arrow, the more you're going to maintain the accuracy of that arrow from point A to point B. So those are the benefits to, to this. And also when it comes to hunting, you know, having an, an arrow that the point is driving forward through the hide, whereas, you know, you don't want to have, if you have equal weight in the back of the arrow versus the front of the arrow, you know, you're not going to have the same effect. When that thing hits, you got a lot of momentum carrying in the back of the, the back of the arrow. And if it's not directly in line with the front of the arrow, then obviously you're going to have two things going different directions and penetration isn't going to be as good. So those are the benefits, but I think what really we're we're beating around the bush and I, I do want to say this one of the things that is growing in popularity is there's some people making some very very good components to allow people to boost their foc highly and um and i really think those components are super well made a very i mean valkyrie's one and he does it his products are awesome uh, very high quality products that allow people to have options for doing this, um, which is good because in the past, not you know, you didn't have that with everything. You didn't always have the option to, to boost your FOC. Um, but what people have to realize is the more weight you put on the front or the back of an arrow shaft, the more you weaken the spine of that arrow. So in other words, when there's more weight on the outsides, it flexes easier. Um, so if you have a 400 spine that you've always shot with a 100 grain point and you've had great grouping results, if you just slap 
200 grain, you double the point weight on that arrow, that arrow is going to perform weaker out of the same bow. So you, then you have to start thinking about what spine do I need to have now because I'm trying to put this much weight in the front. And that's where there gets to be people don't really understand what they're doing and what point they need to they, you know realize, like you said, okay, well, now I'm trying to put 250 grains in the front. I'm only a 27-inch draw. If I'm shooting a 400-grain arrow, I'm going to barely be getting the type of speed I need. So there's these trade-offs. It, and I mean, doing being the photographer nut I am, if people saw an arrow come out of a bow that has a 250 grain point on the front, and then you, it, it, it had a 100 grain point, and I'm shooting 20 frames per second coming out of the bow, take the same arrow, same guy, same bow, same everything, throw 250 on that, it will freak your mind out of the flex of that arrow from the difference in point weight the same and we've done all this in the last few weeks because of this subject same when it hits the target obviously different than hitting an animal how much that arrow is flexing left and right after it hits the target and it really was like a way for me to show people the difference because a hundred grain head and a 250 grain head is like a daewoo and a triple trailer semi truck, it changes your that the flex or the paradox or whatever you want to call it of your arrow immensely. You can't just screw it on. There's a lot of variables like we're talking about. Well, one of the other things, uh, I'm sure we're going to go down a lot of rabbit holes as we talk about all this and 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 what John offers at Knock On is huge. Don't be afraid to learn the art of archery because a lot of the stuff that happens is people dive in to the fad. And they don't learn all the things on the way to it. And, I mean, you can, you can tell me to shut up at any time, but don't be afraid to learn to tune your bow rather than just listen to what people are saying. Like, listen to what people say on how to tune a bow. Listen on how to read an arrow chart. Learn how to read an arrow chart. Learn what happens when you add weight to the back end of the bow. That stiffens the arrow. You add it to the front, it weakens the arrow. All of those things come into play with this, and I'll quite stop going on my rant, but basically what I'm saying is people learn how to tune your bow, and you'll learn a lot of this on the way anyway, the goods and bads. Now, as far as, you know, the, the positive things, there's positive things about FOC or higher FOC, in my opinion, to a point, and I think there it gets to a point where there's a lot of diminishing returns when you go too crazy. Um one of the things is to keep your arrow weight down um, when you start getting to more extreme FOC. You're going to be shooting a pretty freaking brittle arrow. Um, you know, and it's just by nature when you start dropping the grains per inch of your arrow to, to so you're not shooting this astronomically crazy 700 grain arrow, you're going to have to shoot a fairly brittle arrow, or, or in my experience, uh, you're going to have to. Now, would you agree with that uh, to a certain point? So, uh, yeah, or, or you can add to that because that's one of the things I've noticed is the guys are shooting real brittle arrows to get the higher for, uh, weight up front. Yeah. So just just to give an example on that, there's okay. There's let's just use two arrow shafts that people probably know well from Easton. One is the hex, um, which what I liked about the hex arrow was for shorter draw length people. 
that needed to kind of keep their speeds up, it, it did allow the option for people to use a brass insert just to get their FOC in a more favorable range and not what I would say an extreme range. Again, I'm talking up to, you know, anywhere from 10% up to 14%. Those are kind of the, that's kind of the, the playground I like to be in. Um, but the problem is that arrow, the grains per inch of that arrow is is very low because the, 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 the arrow itself is very thin walled so that it can be a light arrow. It was made as an arrow that would have speed. If you compare that to an axis, which is has a much higher grain per inch, uh, rating it's because the actual thickness of the wall of that arrow is is thicker so um, yeah you're going to have a heavier arrow to start with but the durability of the arrow is going to be better so some of these guys that are just looking at foc and that's all they look at and they're like well i want to hit 20 percent well like you said this means now if they're going to put the, you know, they start doing the math and they realize, okay, well, I'm going to need 250 grains in the front of my arrow in order to get this 20%. So then they say, okay, well, I need to lighten my arrow because I'm not going to be able to get the types of speeds I want. So now all of a sudden they start choosing an arrow that has a much thinner wall. We're in a hunting situation. Um, just from a durability aspect, that's not going to be favorable. Um, you know, I've had, I've had times where I've been a, a speed, a speed nut and I've not really worried so much about super high FOCs, but I just wanted higher speeds. And I just feel like in a hunting situation, you need a durable arrow. I mean, durability on arrows is imperative, you know, for many reasons, you know, lots. Um, do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, hell yeah, and it's funny you bring up hex because, uh, I, I mean, with the recurve, I'm shooting different arrows, but Frank, my partner in crime, we just set up three bows for him. One of the bows was the, the hex arrow. We set it up with the hex, and the reason why I did it is exactly what you described, but we did that for an antelope bow and his target bow, um, more for target than antelope, but... Antelope are fairly weak and farther shots, bucking the wind, all the different variables there. But, uh, you know, the, the, his, his heavy hitter bow is an axis, and it's exactly as you described, 75 grain brass inserts, really heavy arrow, but really durable arrow, the kind of arrow you can fire at the ground and the wall and probably keep on shooting. Um, and that's because of durability. And, uh, you know, the last thing you want is uh, to have a, a bow and a system that's capable of firing through the meaty part of a uh, elk shoulder or the scapula, but the arrow breaks on impact or if the elk moves a little bit because it's so lightweight, which is what I was getting at. Uh, you want an arrow that can take, especially on bigger game, uh, just about anything, as well as the components. Obviously, the components are just as important as the as the arrow. Um, and again, when you when you take slow mo photography or film of that arrow, how much it flexes when it hits the target. There's a and I know you've done that more than anyone. There's a lot going on. That thing is moving, flexing quite a bit. So yeah, I agree with everything you said. You did a lot, job, a lot better job explaining it than I did. And, and I mean, as we're talking about you know, percentages of 
Okay, what what is extreme FOC to you? Um, you know, let's 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 bracket. What's low? What's happy medium that everybody should have a, you know, their their standard? And then what's what, where you go? Where are you tipping the edge of crazy in your mind? Well, I've done. There's a few things that are relative to this subject. One, back in the day when you know we were shooting a lot, uh, doing a lot of the a lot of the first, I shouldn't say first slow motion films, but you know there were times where when we were shooting on the teams, especially like in Germany at the Biter Center, you know we're out there literally trying different FOCs and shooting underneath some of the best slow motion cameras in the world. Period. Just looking at arrow flight, looking at how that arrow responds with different point weights, and there's a point where you start to go too far. And your group ability and how that arrow starts to be able to come through the center portion of the bow and past the rest without having too much paradox to where then you start running into contact issues, different things like that. There was just, I never, sh- well, I never shot a, a target arrow in world level competition even when I was shooting FETA stuff, which there is no speed was irrelevant. I knew every distance, so all I wanted was an arrow that was had the best ballistic coefficients in the wind, in the crosswinds, and tailwinds and headwinds, and also what arrow literally gave me the best clearance and the best overall grouping. And I never got my best performances over 16%. I never did. My arrows always ran in the 13s, 14s um, for that percentage. Um, but honestly, I felt like how I matched the spine of my arrow to the setup of my bow was way more important to what those arrows did on the target for group ability than anything else. And the bottom line is if you're not as accurate on an animal, it doesn't matter about what your FOC is. The bottom line is you have to put one through the, the heart. And if the heart is six inches around and you can hit that all day long when you're not nervous, well, once you're nervous, your effective grouping is probably double that. So you look at 12 inches. And if 12 inches is your effective group when you haven't made a little bit of a shitty shot or when the arrow is actually come, you know, when you're making a perfect shot or as perfect as you can make it, um, you can't all of a sudden now throw in the fact of this bow, even out of a shooting machine is not going to shoot as good as that arrow with a lower FOC. There's, there is a point where too much FOC is not favorable. And I'm telling you based on tens or if not hundreds of thousands of arrows that I've grouped, the problem you know the problem is in plotted. And I'm talking with when the ACEs came out, when the X10s came out, when the Pro Tours were in development. You know these are things where people were building charts and plotting, and literally coaches around the world were trying to decide what is the most accurate arrow for these olympic and national level athletes and all the athletes were doing it too and we were doing just timeless testing on 
cutting off the front of the shaft, cutting off the back of the shaft, because all this on a barreled shaft changes the spine fast. And, you know, you would shoot high FOC, low FOC. And whether your FOC was high or low, it didn't matter if the spine of the arrow wasn't perfectly matched to the arrow as well. And it just seemed like when you had a perfect spine match to the bow and your FOC was in a, in a fairly good range, like I said, 12, 13, 14, 15%, the arrows were, I mean, it doesn't, it's hard, it's hard to get any better than stuffing 12 arrows in an X-ring at 90 meters out of a shooting machine. I mean, it, you, can't, you can't get any better than that. The problem is when you start to go too high in the FOC, I couldn't find arrows that would actually have enough spine for me because then I have to start getting into arrows. You know, if I'm putting 200 to 250 grains in the front of my arrows, now I have to start finding a 240 spine arrow or, you know, or even stiffer. And it just gets to the point where, like you said, you start to compromise either the shaft quality or I should say the shaft durability, or you have to compromise you're having to shoot a, a spine that's too weak or your speed just really goes down the toilet. So there's a lot of stuff. One, and, one thing I like... keep in mind, this is coming from a guy for the listeners who knows how to tune a bow. That's a whole variable that people aren't looking at. Most people have, what, probably a 90% retu- reduction in tuning knowledge that you have. Take it average Joe going in to most pro shops with a 250 grain point, how many pro shops do you know that are even equipped to tune a bow that way? Well, the the thing is, I had, and I sent you this, um, so I've finished the chart now for the knock-on version arrows that are coming out, one being an Axis, one being an FMJ, which I'm a fan of both of those shafts for, for different reasons, factoring and everything, knock strength at every... You know, and comparing a four millimeter versus a five millimeter, and comparing the ballistic values of a five millimeter versus a six millimeter shaft, all these things are factored in. These are the two shafts that I picked, they're the two that I like the most. And they're going to come standard with a broadhead adapter ring, and they're going to come standard with a 75 or 50 grain, you know, brass break off insert. With the average person, this math is going to be pretty simple. Do I want to shoot a heavier arrow or a little bit lighter arrow? And then at that point, you have the option of 50 or 75 extra grains in the front of the arrow, which I think is a good number. And even with that, those simple changes, Easton did not have a chart to factor in those variables. So I had to go through and literally build a chart that allows you to look up i want to shoot this insert in this arrow or i want to shoot this insert in this arrow and then you can actually pick the spine that's going to properly match that setup if if you go into an archery shop and and just say hey i want to shoot the 50 grain brass in there if they look at the box and say oh well okay you're shooting 70 pounds 29 inch arrow this is your spine if you put 75 grains in the front of that that is not your spine it is not what you need. You're going to come out of there with an arrow that's too weak because there's yeah, not... You're dropping a full chart, yeah. a full scale, at least, a full spine at least. Right. So you're dro- you know, you're changing your spine, and most shops aren't going to do that. And the other thing I think is when, when I went through looking at 
the I did a um I had Easton send me a model mix of the historical spine sales of like what archery shops buy. And honestly, the percentage I think is not favorable to the consumer because most shops just buy the bulk of 400 spine arrows and then they go to you know 340s that's like everything whereas anyone that's shooting a 30 inch draw or more at 70 pounds if you have a 400 spine arrow you're probably too weak dude I mean, if you're shooting a 125 grain broadhead, which that is very popular for a lot of people, uh, once again, you're probably on the border of being too weak. And that most people that I work with that want their, their group ability improved immediately, the first thing I do is look at their arrow match. And most people, most people are too weak. And as soon as you give them an arrow that, you know, is the right stiffness or even stiffer than what they need their grouping immediately improves so teaching people the education of proper spine first how to build an arrow that's matched for your bow even if you never even looked at foc which i don't look at mine you don't look at yours um you know i just look at i want I know that if I want to have 50 or 75 grains in the front of my arrow, the axis is giving me this speed, the FMJ is giving me this speed. If I'm like, okay, well, maybe the FMJ is a little bit slow. What if I want to shoot an extra five pounds and take this freaking sledgehammer moose hunting? That's what I do. Um, you know, I might add in the extra weight, then look at the chart again, pick it to where, yeah, I can shoot the FMJ with 50 grains of brass in the front and then 100 or 125 grain head. Um, I mean, these are things that regardless of how nuts you get on FOC, it's hard. You know, people have this argument where they're, you know, they've, they've, well, it shouldn't be an argument, but they've said, well, it just carries through an animal fat. I mean, listen, dudes, I was shooting animals with ACC 360s with a, with a, you know, 18 grain aluminum insert and a hundred grain broadhead. I've put that arrow through so many animals that I've literally, I couldn't even tell you how many that it went through. And what the FOC was, was probably around 9%. Well, as you say that, it is important. And, and I'm, you know, trying to get all this in one podcast, arrow flight is king. If your arrow's going through the animal crooked, right? If it's not, if your knock and your tip are not aligned when it goes through that animal, that is, in my opinion, that is, you're building, you want that first, right? You want perfect arrow flight so you don't lose uh, any, there's no friction of that arrow going through the animal, which is important, is as important as anything now with the, the like we talked about with, with, uh, heavier front of center obviously that even that that's even better but if your arrow flight sucks you're going through the animal sideways and you do you you need to have really good arrow flight and i think i hate to say this but the art of tuning a bow has gone to hell in a handbasket and most people don't know how to tune and that's one of the reasons why like you say hundreds of animals with seven to nine percent foc um because your arrow flight was so good, uh, in my in my opinion, you know, knowing you, that's 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 one of the main keys is great arrow flight, and that's one of the things that worries me with what we're talking about is, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got two hundred grains up front, and your arrow's hitting the animal sideways. 
you'd be better off with a hundred up front. Uh, and I'm a fan of heavier point weight, but you'd be better off having a hundred grains up front in perfect arrow flight, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's. <laughs> So years ago, there when one of the very first like portable slow motion cameras came out, um, Lloyd had one who was um, with the U.S. Uh, Olympic team coach. Lloyd Brown had one, and he would travel to different uh, world events and film different people's arrows. And there's a big difference between um, proper arrow flight that comes out, has a little bit of a paradox, cleans up quick. Uh, and the arrow starts tracking you when there was people that really started focusing on super high foc like they started to make their own points there's a point company out of germany that was making 150 160 grain points for the front of um, x10 arrows and i remember uh, that they were very proud of those yeah well they created what's called a, a snake bend in the arrow so you know with the cameras we started you know when we're critiquing other country shooters you start seeing these arrows coming out and you're like what the f is that i mean literally imagine an arrow to where when it comes out the point of the arrow bends like a wave and it looks like a wave rippling through the arrow and then as it hits the tail the tail shoots that wave back so you literally have this snake like bend in the arrow as it's projecting forward and it was because the the arrow was so Im- improperly spined uh and the point weight was the front point weight was just too extreme and the bottom line was did the did they group decent downrange when when you know yeah they did but when you put a broadhead on the front of that and you start doing that where the broadhead then is a steering component of the arrow and you start making that front of that arrow ripple up and ripple down, the the groupability just starts to get chaos. I mean, it, it turns into chaos. And I'm actually not a fan of I don't I don't like say in tuning a bow. I think you set up a bow. I think you tune arrows. You know, the art of tuning arrows has somewhat been forgotten people just want to look at a chart that's why that's why it's one of the few questions that i just i've just given up on answering for people it's like listen (laughs) i don't want to tell you what arrow you need i know that you need to know that the bet you what you need to do is what i do i look at a chart i know my realm of where i'm at and then i just start doing homework you know, I can tell you that, you know, the type of vein you put on, how, you know, how long the vein is, do you put on more? If, are you going to shoot a lighted knock? Like all these different things are stuff where you just need to try it and, you know, be within the realm and listen, the components I'm using Valkyrie and I, you know, I don't want to call them out cause I've never talked to them. I'm telling you they're good products. The guy makes some freaking very super high quality stuff. If if he said I want to do a knock on sleeve and he was adamant about it, I'd be like, "Well, I would certainly put my name on your shit, dude, because his stuff is great." But I I would also tell him I'm not going to go that high. Like I'm not worried about going that high in FOC. The things that would be more important to me is, you know, having a cool little collar that maybe was a little bit heavier but contain the end of the arrow shaft so you don't have like 
tear outs is bad you know just from a durability aspect you immediately skyrocket the durability of any arrow if you start to slightly encapsulate the end of it so that you're not driving that broadhead back through the arrow which that's why i'm gonna have broadhead collars for mine however they're aluminum just because i'm afraid if i'm giving people 50 grains brass or 75 grains brass then an oversert that is then higher in weight like if you made it out of steel or if you made it out of brass it it, like i'm worried about getting to the point where it's it's too much you know people are going to start realizing hey my bow's shooting 240 feet a second and then they're going to say well maybe i'm going to go with a lighter arrow shaft and see now we're going right back it's this circle now we're right back to the beginning of the podcast of okay you know there's a trade-off you're loading all this weight in the front why because you want to be able to have a little bit more carry through on the animal this is a whole different subject in it on its on its own i really feel like (laughs) i love a gaping hole on the entrance of an animal pass-throughs are great I mean, pass-throughs are awesome. I love pass-throughs. But I'll tell you what, when I rip a two and a half inch slice through the entrance point of that thing and the arrow stops in the opposite shoulder, I don't care. That thing that, is... That's funny. That's going to What I answered be... your text the other day and I said, you didn't reply when I said that. I was like, I wonder if he doesn't agree with that. Because I, I think I said, I don't care about two small holes. I really care about one big one. You didn't reply, and I'm like, huh. Well, I sent you some I wonder videos. If he has a different, yeah, yeah, but you, I was like, I wonder if he has a different view than that, and I'm glad you said that because no, it... No, I agree. I, I mean, I, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute, I guess, but with what you just said, uh, I am a huge uh, advocate of the Valkyrie system. I like the system, but I, I think that my name is being used as well as yours frequently that is not um i like the valkyrie system extreme front of center is a slippery slope that i think people need to pay attention to and one of the things i i definitely want to mention is the setups when people other people talk about my setups when i was shooting you know 175 grains up front i was also shooting 90 pounds um, 85 pounds. My system is different than most uh, most people's systems because um, I was still able to hit 280 feet per second with those arrow weights, and I think a lot of people leave that out um, and don't think about that. And if and if somebody hears John Dudley's shoots this right uh, or X Y Z or whatever, it gives a false impression. You know, keep in mind, I was able to shoot a 550 grain arrow, but I was also still able to shoot it at 280 feet per second because I was shooting heavier poundage. And if someone else that isn't shooting is shooting 70 pounds um, and then tries to shoot a 550 grain arrow with 175 up front, what are they going to be at 250 probably? Would you guess? Yeah, it'll it'll fall fast. Yeah, it'll rapidly rapidly decline. and that immediately goes into panic mode because of the way uh, that in this day and age, if you're not hitting 280 plus, you're at the back of the bus. You're just not a cool kid. Well, the bottom and, line is you're not going to, like, got, people want 100 yards. And most, last night, 
you know, I'm here with shooting with friends. Last night we shot. We're practicing, kind of getting ready for the Total Archery Challenge in Utah. And if you were out here and you weren't able to get 100 yards because your sight is literally running into your arrow because you're shooting that slow, then you're going to be like, this sucks. I want to, I need to have more speed. And yeah, you can shoot your scope housing off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's so many things that factor in when I, when I first built <clears throat> Rogan's first bow, I put about a week into it just because I hadn't, I hadn't done a lot of like <clears throat> super tuning with arrows regarding a 28 inch draw length at his poundage, you know, at the, the first bows were right at 80 pounds. So I did a lot of comparing between a four millimeter, uh, an axis, an FMJ, and then also a, um, an ACC, which I had custom brass inserts made. And so I literally shot everything. I had all the FOCs written down. I had all the speeds written down and I kind of sent it to him like, Hey, just so I know, what like what are you favoring what do you what what are your what apples do you like what oranges do you like because here's your here's the four arrows i have they all have different speeds they all have different focs and he just goes what one freaking groups the best and i just said well for this particular setup the fmj is grouping the best with this vein with this offset and I just said, the FOC is not as high as these other ones. And he's like, I want a tack driver, but I want a heavy enough arrow for elk. And I'm like, okay, well, listen, dude, this arrow is more than adequate for elk. You're shooting 80 pounds. This thing is going to freaking pile drive through anything you put in front of it. And he's just like, done, do it. And I said, yeah. And I mean, and with this arrow, we can get, you can shoot. Uh, over a hundred yards you can you know you're not like your sight scale isn't having to move 12 inches up and down on the front of your bow your sight scales tight you know your ability to have your you know he has two pins in a spot hog sight it's not like the top pin is 20 and because the damn thing's so slow the bottom pin is like you know 25 i mean he's able to have a 20 and 36 yard pin close together Whereas if that thing was slower, if he would have been worried about the FOC and went with the slower arrow, that pin gap, you know, your pin gap, it gets really tough. You don't want to draw back on an animal and your 40 pin is literally, um, you know, or you aim at it with your 30 and your 40 pin is like down by the knees and your 20 pin is over the thing's back. Like that's miserable. I like being able to pull back and stack multiple pins on the animal and just say, shit, I don't know if it's 30 or 40, but my 30's at the top of the vitals, my 40's at the bottom of the vitals. This thing is killing this deer. Done. Well, I, and, and you know, oh, man, there's a lot of rabbit holes we can go down here. <laughs> what, what you just said is uh, 100% in agreement. And one of the things you had talked about earlier um, was uh, with wind drift with, uh, you know, heavier point weight. You have less wind drift. One of the things I, I forgot about that is a lot of people get in their, their mind that if you shoot, let's say, oh, three. I, I like the Max Stealth from, from AAE um, personally, and I shoot four of those on the back of my compound bow. 
and I get minimal wind drift because I have quite a bit of point weight up front. But if you you take the same setup, uh, except you take and you put a hundred grains up front, the wind drift with the hundred grain point compared to the hundred and seventy five grains up front. Uh, in my opinion, it doesn't have, you know, cutting down the veins in the back probably isn't the best answer compared to maybe bumping up the weight up front when you're talking about. I, I'm, a, I'm more of a fan of four-fletch usually if it tunes out right. And these are all the different questions I get with guys and asking me about wind drift. And, and a lot of the time it's because maybe their FOC is a little bit too too light. Um and, and I guess what I'm getting at here when you talk about uh, there's a happy medium for everything, whether it be wind drift or like you're talking about, an elk comes in, you don't know if it's 30 or you don't know or it's 40. If you put so much weight up front on your bow or on your arrow that, again, you just explained it, that your 30-yard pin is on its center of its lungs and your 40-yard pin is on its knee, uh, most people, if they're not sure, may not have the wherewithal to put their 40-yard pin on its heart, thinking, worst-case scenario, I'll blow its heart out. Most guys are going to panic a bit, maybe throw the 30-yard pin in the middle of its lungs, and then they're going to shoot low. And having that extreme point weight up front is going to cause there's a lot of diminishing returns people aren't thinking about, and, and I just want to beat this into people's heads. There's, there is something that's warm and fuzzy about when you put your, your, your rack, your pin rack on an elk in 20, 30, and 40 are all in the vitals. So as Amen. you're getting ready to throw, yeah, well, you throw 250 grains up front, that shit ain't happening. It just ain't, it's not, it's not going to happen. Right. In, unless you're like me and shooting 90 pounds. Um, and so, Again, you cannot base everything just off of the FOC fad, especially if you can't judge yardage for shit. You can't. And, I mean, every year this happens. I mean, this happened to us last year. You know, we, we went and looked, and the, and the guy stood where he shot. I stood. I can judge yardage pretty well. I stood, and I'm like, man, that's about 40. Man, I shot it for 30. And I'm like, well, you hit it low in the brisket then. Um, now, if if that guy's bow was, was faster okay i mean if, if if his speed was a little better everything being equal is he better off at 12 percent foc than 20 well in that case probably because at 20 foc he wouldn't even hit the you know he wouldn't hit the elk at all and i know i'm kind of beating a dead horse to death here but uh you really need to think about that the people listening in before you drive down and grab 200 250 grain points and screw them on the front of your arrow. Even if your bow is tuned perfectly with that point weight, if you can't judge yardage worth of crap, you can't always be a rangefinder baby. There's a lot of variables you're not always going to get the rangefinder out, and so speed does come into play with that. Um, and again, if you're hunting, what is the most crack-headed out animal you've ever hunted? Crack-headed out? Like, like jumpsuits uh, on asshole type Crack-headed out? Yeah, like like Alabama whitetail. I think we should probably shot 30 of them. Probably 26 were in the spine. Yeah, oh, yeah. They were all... Yeah. <laughs> them, axes, uh, impalas, you know, anything like that is, yeah, 
uh, you getting chased by a lion. Most, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most bucks that are seven or older and and have been tipped off to knowing that you're there and they're looking at you when you shoot. Yeah, any of those, they're they're inverting, you know. But in those it, situations, it, it, dude, ten feet a second, twenty feet a second, it's it doesn't help you when they're when they're pulling their legs up and they're dropping like that. You know, I had this this debate with Winky because he's you know he was really tr- he was worried about you know shooting an arrow over three hundred. I just like you have to be shooting so fast for that to matter. Whereas in my opinion, accuracy is still king, man. Uh, well, and I, I was gonna. For, for me, accuracy and a quiet bow are the two things that I worry about more in those situations. Accuracy and your bow not being, you know, a 50 cal when it goes off, because the speed of sound, you're never going to beat right. that. You know what I mean? And and so, again, happy medium, everyone. Not, not extreme on one end or the other, and, and actually being able to shoot your bow is is accurately is 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 paramount and how many how many people do you know are so wrapped up around the tech side who can't shoot for shit well well the really stinky part about this and you know i don't want to i don't want to point i think it's a very it's a very big issue right now in the podcasting community i'm not going to point any fingers because it's a very broad thing there's a lot of people giving their opinions to to listeners who are who look at them as a professional because they have a voice on subjects that they really aren't that in depth about you know if someone comes to me and and asks me a question about i don't know if someone asks me the question about like cams on a bow and you know how changing the the cable side is gonna start moving the curve i'm just gonna tell you listen i know a a lot about bows but on this subject i'm gonna need to get zach matt mcpherson darren cooper like this is a subject that there's very few people that know and even though i know cams this is starting to go down a road that's even that's an engineer's type mentality when people start giving advice on things like this yet they take their bow to a shop to be set up that it's hard to it's hard to value their opinion on why a product's better than another when they really don't have extensive value. And I think there's, I think there's a problem right now in our industry with professionals giving opinions on products based on, well, it's not, it's not a new problem because it's the same problem as TV shows. T- there there were TV shows, and I've been part of companies that had products where they were adamant about wanting me to rep the product. And in the end, I said, listen, this isn't performing the way that it's advertised. I don't really want to – I'm not going to put my neck out there and, and vouch for it if it's not, you know, it's not doing what you're saying. Here's what I found. We can either make it better and address it, or I'm just – I'll just elect to not talk about this particular product of yours, and I'll talk about another product that I'd like better. There's a lot of people right now that they start going down the roads of, you know, this is cool, this is great, you know, and they literally are almost reading off the sell sheet of what's on the package without really knowing. 
And there's actually, um, there was a company that was buying a tremendous amount of ads from the magazines. The magazines were actually letting them write articles. Um, I wish I knew the name of this product, but it was inserts that went in the, in the aero shaft and then allowed the, the point to actually spin freely. And there was like full page ads on these. They were letting them write articles and they were talking about how the accuracy of an arrow changes because of this, um, this insert that allows the point to do what it naturally, well, they were saying it allows the arrow to rotate naturally without being affected by what the broadhead wants to do. It was the biggest horseshit claim. I mean, has anyone ever shot a NAP razor cap? Have have do they fly perfect every time you shoot them? No, they don't. It's still no. a fixed blade broadhead, and guess what? <laughs> they spun around on the ferrule. So, you know that was a timeless head. It's the one Rambo used with the protective cover over it. They painted it silver, and that was his explosive tips, by the way, in Rambo. Um, and that's awesome. It's like no, these they don't work. And actually, he I I've said something about it without calling his name out. And then he sent me an email, sent me a long letter, sent me a bunch of points. I said, listen, dude, I'm gonna test this. But if I test it, will you claim it yourself? And he told me yes. Well, after I sent him the video, which I have, and pretty much proved him wrong, he also told me that the same system would make target bows more accurate, like long-distance target bows. And I said, that's not true either. It's like you have to just do the simple homework. Tape, you know, If you want to know what Aaron and I are talking about, let's put all the bull crap aside. Take your bow out right now. Well, first off, call Lancaster Archery and just order 100 grain field tips, 150 grain field tips, 200 grain field tips. Put all those in your arrows and shoot them and plot them. Which point weight has the best grouping? I'll guarantee you it's there could be, if there were 10 guys, not everyone is going to go, the 200s, not everyone's going to, there might be a guy or two that said, well, for me, for sure the 200s are better. And I'm going to say, you know what that tells you? That tells you your spine that you were shooting to begin with was way too stiff for your setup. And you're breaking the spine down enough to where it's more accurate, which is essentially what I have to do when I'm shooting 60 pounds max out of my target bow because that's the rules. And I'm wanting to shoot a 2315 arrow that is spined for a 70 pound bow at my draw length. So that's why I have to shoot 200 grains in the front because I have to make the arrow most accurate. If I, even though I don't have to worry about FOC, if I put a hundred grain point in that arrow and try to shoot a Vegas round, I'll shoot a 300 with a 20 X count. If I put a, my 200s in there, I can shoot in the upper twenties. Right, and then all of a sudden, if I try to go too far and I put a 300 grain point in the front, which technically is the highest FOC I could get, it's going to go back down to shooting that lower X count, the same as when I had not enough point weight in. And it's because one point weight makes that shaft match my setup better and it's more accurate. So that's really what you have to do. And I love the fact that Valkyrie is making options for people to strengthen their shaft his broadhead is freaking durable as hell 
it's a you know if you're a fixed blade guy and you need high penetration I can tell you right now I would have no problem putting his broadhead on Sharon or Harry's bow because they're shooting low weight they need to they need you know they need penetration easiest that cut on impact low profile head it's made well for a bow it's made well for that for me personally with what I'm throwing down there, I'm like, listen, I have the horsepower. I'm gonna rip a big freaking slice going in. I don't. I'm not worried about a pass through. But for Sharon or Harry, absolutely, that head would be great. Um, for traditional guys, that head would be great. For people that want to pass through or they want to be able to blow through a, a scapula without fear, that's a good option. Guys that are shooting older people that are saying, hey, I'm shooting a 60 pound bow max right now. That's just, you know, I'm not, I can't pull the weight like I used to. It's an awesome option. You know, if you have arrows right now that you already have some full metal jackets and you do this little test that I told you about, just grab some field points and you put the 150 grain field points in and all of a sudden you realize, hey, my FMJs do shoot better. Dude, get one of the, get one of the overserts to go over your arrow that'll add some weight and then go back to your 100 grain head and get the performance get the grouping that you want it's all just like it's it's teeter-tottering and i think when people just focus on the accuracy and then look at the numbers after the accuracy that's when you're going to have the best setup that's just going to be lethal in the field and that's that's what you want more than any of these things no, no, I, I agree. Uh, one thing I, I want to make sure and bring up, pretty much everything we're talking about here is, uh, you know, is pertaining to a compound. Um, if we talked about stick bows, obviously uh, the numbers are much higher. Obviously, you know, 200 grains plus on a, on a stick bow, everything still applies. It's just the numbers are um, exasperated a bit because speed is out the window because you're shooting something you can fart an arrow just as fast as you can shoot it so you know 180 feet per second <laughs> or so out of a stick bow a little bit different so I want to make sure before I get taken out of context we're talking about compound bows here everything else still applies tuning everything else it's just you know you're focusing more on a on a heavy arrow and and, and point weight and, and that's a totally different podcast uh, but you know, by itself, everything still pertains. But we're we're talking about compounds here. You know, I have 290 grains up front on my on my stick bow. But um, what, one of the things you said uh, a second ago um, about different people talking about accuracy and things like that 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 aren't overly accurate to begin with. The same goes with how many arrows have gone through an animal out of different people's bows uh, when they start talking about. Um, you know, penetration tests, uh, what broadheads do, what arrow weight. Um, you know, if you haven't shot that many animals, it kind of goes, it's the same thing. Like, you know, you, you definitely want to take advice from, from guys that have shot more animals than, than others because they're, uh, you know, they're going to have a, a, um, a history behind yeah. them of knowledge. More experience with the amount of variables that, that factor into real life hunting situations are endless. I mean, I don't think I've ever shot an animal where I said, Oh yeah, that was exactly what happened that time on that one. It's like every one, every one of them twitched different, the reacting different, the angle was different, the, 
conditions of how much my air, you know, the wind that was there, maybe something that I had to shoot through, something I had to shoot past, like all this stuff, you know, is if if I didn't have good arrow flight, the amount of deer that I would have not shot because I was literally threading needles through timber. And if you have if you have dog crap arrow flight, good luck picking a hole. Like a pinball machine yeah. coming down the pipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just you're you're not going to do that. Um, you have, well, and, and, and you're you're 100 right. I take it. I listen to people who have done. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of times it's hard for me, to, you know, if someone says, well, why do you feel that way? And I'm like, listen, I don't, I can't tell you why I like my expandables. I'm just telling you with the arrows that I build, I know my expandables have bailed me out of more situations than I've had to worry about the fact of it hitting a shoulder knuckle. Like, yeah, I don't. Okay, I agree. If I had a certain broadhead and I shot a shoulder knuckle, yes, that it would have been better. But you know what? I actually yesterday when I knew we were talking about this podcast, I was on the plane. I was kind of going through some pictures and just deleting space on my phone, and I came to a uh, a big bull that I shot in Montana. And you could in the picture, I, it wasn't cropped to where you could see where the hole was, and I realized. That was a terrible shot. Like this is this is an elk that I shot probably a foot. I, I shot over the liver, so it was it was literally like probably a foot and a half behind the shoulder, and then kind of between the liver and spine. And the arrow was like coming There's down. Nothing as, wrong with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? If I would have been shooting an inch and a quarter fixed blade head, I would have went. One through through that elk, no question. But I I had a big cut uh, expandable. It literally buried to the knock, and then it stayed in that thing as it went. And you know, I ended up having to leave it overnight. And I'm not proud. It wasn't a perfect shot, but that's reality. I don't. Every single animal I shoot is not behind the shoulder or through the front shoulder. And there's, you know, we talk so much about arm bones and shoulder bones or shoulder sockets. And it's like, if you look at the, the animal, that percentage of area that you're talking about is literally like less than 10% of this entire silhouette. I want for 90% of the rest of that silhouette, if I throw a two inch hole through it, it there's advantages to having that versus going in and out now certainly there's advantages to being able to just break through a rib but you know i'm shooting 70 sometimes 80 pounds depending on the animal i'm shooting a 500 grain arrow on the low end um because as bows have increased in speed i've kind of just made it a point to just shoot more and more arrow weight so that my overall speed stays around 275 to 284 somewhere in there and I just shoot a heavier and heavier and heavier arrow but I also the arrow itself gets heavier and I'm not just taking the same old arrow and just loading the front to get that weight I'm literally shooting a decent front weight normally I like 50 grains of brass is my is probably my go-to. I really like 100 grain heads overall simply because 
the flight characteristics of most 100 grain heads outweigh the flight characteristics of others. Um, but, you know, it, there's just a lot that goes into it. You know, you look at something like uh, the broadhead that Green Tree shoots. I think they're like Ozcuts or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. That's a cool little head. I mean, that thing, listen, that thing is going to go through stuff. It's 150 grains. It's compact. There's not a lot of surface area. It's going to fly good. And it's 150 grains. And he's not, you know, he's not shooting. um, He's got an oversert that goes over. But he's not just, he's not geeking out about FOC. He just has a head that just goes through a lot of stuff. You know, he shoots a little bit slower bow. It's It's a cool setup it's it's good it's practical and he's killed a ridiculous amount of stuff with it so if you ask adam well are you shooting that because of the foc adam's gonna say i shoot this because i've shot a lot of animals with a lot of different heads and for me this one goes through them this one goes through and it kills stuff and i can resharpen it in the field because i don't you know his backpack style hunting he's not going to want to freaking be taken like you know, four different rage coffins with them. Whereas when I don't have to factor that in, I'm dude, I'm totally cool with what I'm shooting. And you know, I'm, I'm just basing it off real life, practical variables of what I've put the most amount of things on the ground with. And I think those points are more valid than people talking about numbers that to most people, they, they, they might not even be relative to right no no i i agree and i i mean one of the things that that uh i I was doing the same thing kind of figuring out things to talk about on the on this podcast for examples uh you know and obviously i'm shooting both a recurve and a compound and i have shot a lot of animals with a compound and i'm i'm getting upwards of 20 with my with my stick bow which i'm finding out is actually quite a bit um, and so I'm getting to where I'm, I'm with a stick bow learning the same way I did with the, the compound. And one thing, um, you know, and I shoot a couple different systems. I also shoot a, an arrow called a grizzly stick, which is a, a tapered shaft. Um, and it's, it, it focuses on weight forward. The, the insert system is pretty heavy. It's I think 77 grains or something like that. But if you, if you take my buck, last year in alberta uh shot it purposefully in the scapula it was bedded down uh shot it in the shoulder i was shooting an axis 75 grain brass insert i was shooting a 260 and i was um shooting 82 or four pounds and i was shooting a cutthroat broadhead which is a single bevel uh broadhead i shot through both scapulas and well i blew the offside leg in half the onside scapula i went through couldn't find the arrow, right? Devastating penetration, um, and, you know, and, and the axis are uh, unbelievable arrows for durability as well. Arrow ra- or the the deer ran forty yards, fell over. This year with my my black bear with that was with a compound. This year with my black bear with the recurve. After I got done crapping my pants and unloading half my quiver, my one really good shot was with a two inch uh, uh, double bevel. It's a two-inch wide fixed blade, and arrow six hundred grains. It was or five ninety and change, whatever it was. Is it like a land shark or something? Yards. The broadhead. Uh, it's it's a silver flame. Oh, yeah. um, wide cut XXL. Love those. I like a 
I like a big hole, right? And I told you that from the, I, you and I sound like we mirror image. I want it to bleed out of, I don't care if it's two holes, but I want one big one for sure because you don't always get a pass through. Now, I blew through both scapulas on the bear and couldn't find the arrow with a recurve, right? Now, two totally different animals, right? The, uh, bears are weak. They're one of the softest animals that, I, in my opinion, one of the softest animals. You can poke a pencil through a bear. It doesn't take a whole lot to go through one. Couldn't find the, the arrow. So, same outcome, 15, 20-yard difference in, in distance. Okay, what was my FOC? I have no idea uh, what my FOC was on on either. Um, why did I shoot, you know, one broadhead compared to the other? Um, you know, different scenarios, in my opinion, can cause, ask, you know, for different uh, broadheads. Like, if I'm hunting elk, yeah, I think the Valkyrie head, iron will, mm, you know, with the right system, mechanicals, whatever the case may be, is going to be fine. <laughs> but with bear, I'm going to shoot the widest hole I can because they got fat and they got fur. Um, you know, and that can stop the bleeding a little bit or cover it up. You know, it soaks it up. And so I want a really wide hole. You take 2015, um, I shouldn't even say this online, but I shot a frontal at 78 yards on a bullet full bugle with probably one of the most... Uh, uh, Man, I wish it was on video. It was epic. And please, people, don't do what I do. Don't don't ever do that. But I pinwheeled the elk, 580-grain arrow, and I was shooting a kill zone, which is the most momentum-sucking broadhead probably on the market. But it varied to the knock. When that bull spun, it looked like the movie 300, blood shot out of its chest, ran 15 yards, and fell over. Not a shot anyone should probably take. A lot of people don't like frontals. Crazy penetration, but the one thing that I had was perfect arrow flight. The bull was not moving, um, and and I had good. I, I don't know what my front of center was, but I had heavy point weight up front. Um, I guess the key with all of these things I'm talking about, I had confidence in my system. I had good arrow flight in the systems, and all of those were completely different scenarios, arrow weights, uh, different broadheads, different points. And at not one time would I, would there be a point where um, I could totally sell off a kill zone to a lot of people, for example. It sucks too much momentum. You have to, in my opinion, have, uh, there's a boundary that you should not go under to shoot a kill zone. Okay, the same thing like with a silver flame, a two-inch wide. Probably not something you're going to want to fling through a compound, but a two-inch wide cutting diameter, uh, you know, mechanical serves the same purpose. And then you talk about, like, a iron wheel or a cutthroat, um, you know, smaller cutting diameter head. And those things are just made to, to penetrate, same with the Valkyrie system. And, and the only reason I'm getting at all this is all of these are different. All of them worked extremely well. And I don't think when people get wrapped up on one thing in their head that it, that is all that's going to work, one FOC, one number of FOC they have to hit, that's when I think tuning goes down the hill. They don't, they don't properly tune their arrow. They get fixated on one thing, and nothing good come, comes out of that. After my rant, I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? 
Well, there's so many good subjects, and I actually have to wrap this up because um, I have a meeting. I have to be in in 26 minutes. But um, oh, dang. we need to do a uh, we need we need to do your podcast. And there's several subjects that you brought up that I would love to get to do your podcast with. You need to write these down so we remember frontal shots. I actually like frontal shots. It just depends on the scenario. I wouldn't have taken that shot. Um, yeah, I do like that. I think, like you said, these numbers. Um, are you taking a whiz? <laughs> oh, no, I'm pouring one thing into a drink mix. That's funny. <laughs> um, I have had to pee on a podcast before because they wouldn't let me out. It was embarrassing, but thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, me too. But, no, I think everything, everything you're saying – um is right you know i i don't know how many animals i've shot i don't know how many you've shot i don't know how many people like green tree have shot but i'll guarantee you i between the three of us i would say the amount of times we went into the field worrying about front of center number would be very very small i went out every time worried about how well does my bow group with the broadheads that I've chose to take out there and what what arrow do I need so that that groups the best and when I'm accurate I'm deadly if I'm not accurate then yeah I mean obviously there's a lot more stuff to talk about I think the bottom line here is Especially if we're just going to dive into the Valkyrie subject. Um, makes awesome stuff. I don't know the guy. Um, I, I just know when I... I know I've had people that send me components for bow builds that I've done for them. And they just send me everything. And I'm like putting stuff together. There's I've had ones, you know, uh, Company B. And I put them on. I'm like, do you realize how shitty this fits on the shaft? Like this tolerance is not good. And they're like, well... I kind of want to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, this won't shoot as good. Like, throw that out the window and just have something. Like, let me just, let's just screw a field point on here. Put 50 grains of the brass. This is going to shoot good. Why do you want a connection that goes on the front that has real poor tolerance? And now you're going to try to screw a broadhead on the front of that. And a broadhead with poor tolerance is a nightmare to get to tune um and shoot good so it's like let's factor all that out if he makes good quality components that gives people the option to go in their backyard and do homework do it that's what i do what shoots best for you if you don't want to spend the money and and buy these components at first and you want you just want to cut all the bull crap aside and just say okay i here's the bow i shoot you know, I'm not going to spend um, three, four hundred bucks on a custom match set of arrows. I just, I'm going to use what I, what I have now, and I want to know if I shoot more FOC, is it, does it group better? Go buy a dozen field points in hundreds, one fifties, two hundred. Screw them on the front of your bow. Shoot them down range, and you're going to be like, holy shit, these things hit two feet lower at fifty yards. Do I really want to deal with that? Do I want a pin gap that big? Do I want to not have my 60-yard pin actually be able to be in my sight housing anymore? And if you're like, no, I don't I don't like that. I actually like having 60 in my sight. Then all these are the things that these are the things that just cut all the bull crap out of the equation. Can you reach the max distance you want on your sight 
with this heavy point? No, you can't. Is that a problem to you? Yes, it's a problem. Okay, why are we talking? Let's go back to the 100 grain point and, you know, and just kill animals. You're happy. You know, these are like the very simple things. Just listen, everybody. A lot of this stuff we can argue for hours and hours and hours. I mean, if I was uh, into race cars or fast cars, I guarantee you there's people that we could have debates on tires and horsepower and rims and freaking whatever else I don't know shit about. But the reality is, does the car drive good? Do you like driving it? Do you, do you fit in it? You know, <laughs> all that, that's kind of the basic simple stuff. Do that with archery. Do these simple tests when it comes to fletchings. You know, fletchings also affect FOC. But guess what? I mean, it's a whole different rat hole, and we can do this on your podcast, Aaron, but there's certain fletchings, even though they, there's more weight on the back, they shoot better, period. But there's also times where that same setup on another arrow does not shoot better. So I shoot a different combination. I mean, those are the realities. If you guys all listening just keep it that simple and kind of just look at the basic things of what Aaron and I did of – we go out in our yard, we shoot our bow, this bow isn't shooting that good, what do I need to do to adjust the tuning, maybe increase my poundage a little bit, maybe decrease, maybe this point weight, maybe that point weight, maybe this broadhead, maybe those veins, all of a sudden you find something to where you're just an accurate archer, boom, have fun, go bow hunt. Yep, I, I agree, become a student of the art and... Uh you'll be far ahead than, than you will with anything else. Learn how to do all of this. Um, learn learn the different tuning methods. Once you learn all of that, you won't be asking ding-dongs like me or John questions. You'll know. Um, obviously, don't, don't take John's job away. Uh, but Please do. As you, well, I mean, John's job, I mean, I don't know how many people I pile onto you, but it's a lot because I don't want to deal with it. And you offer... Uh, you already have the, the the questions answered that I don't have to. Learn all of those things, and you will be able to find out this stuff on your own, which is, in my opinion, the best and, and most important thing. You know, learn it, find out how, and, uh, you know, come up with your own answer that you will become confident in rather than being confident, uh, you know, with what someone said on the Internet. Uh, the, you know, I think that's the worst thing you can do. Be confident in it because you know it works. Yeah, that's the one thing I love about um, being able to track people like through like hashtags is I'm I'm 100% seeing the progression of all of the people that follow the things that I talk about and I see them applying it. You know, I I literally see people posting pictures of check it out. I'm doing, you know, four fletch, six fletch, three fletch, you know, I'm going to do the test. And then they take pictures of their groups on the targets. And they're like, look how much better these group than those. And it's like, bam, you guys are doing it. You're literally learning. And what's awesome is those people giving their buddy information, that's healthy. The people that just listen to a podcast and hear people say, this is great, blah, 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 and then they go to the range and they just regurgitate that information without ever really applying it, I don't, that information is not always going to be correct. But if you actually implement these things that I talk about, whether it's, you know, how, how you should pull, use your release, how you should set up your arrows, you know, how you should serve your string, like if you're implementing those and you're doing those and you're learning 
then you're a perfect person to be able to tell people your experience. But if all you're doing is passing information without applying it, then the information, it's, it's a lot of times it can get skewed. And that's one of the downsides with, and it's one of the reasons why I just don't sell ads on my podcast because, man, I want my podcast to be all about, my podcast is archery information and education that you can trust, period. I don't, I think if people started paying me, I'd, I just think that there's times where people might say, I want you to talk about this. And if I went out and applied it and I could wholeheartedly say, okay, this is what I found, then I'm fine saying that. But to not have full experience and make claims gets a little sketchy. And I think the end consumer are the ones that they're the ones that are just going to have points that might not be 100% valid. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, Kafaru Cast is the same way. It does piss off companies that I'm running five different binoculars and three different camos at one time, but I feel confident when somebody asks a question, I'm answering it um, with uh, a lot of experience of using all of them and no bias because, you know, we're not paid. And so I'm, I'm able to talk about uh, that's why I like your podcast. You can talk about whatever you want, and there's no repercussions and no no bias because of of a monetary gain, which is which is important. Yeah, I do get a lot of free product though. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, dude, I got a jet. I'm uh, I'm totally late, and I and right, also man. have to get I have to get stuff. There's actually an there's an article coming out in Peterson's Bow Hunting. I'm actually t- I'm. I have to take the photos and deliver the photos right now. And it's um, five elements to the perfect arrow. Uh, I think it's going to be in the August edition. Um, and it's it's not like super in-depth in relation to FOC, but it's literally the things that I feel like are most important about finding the perfect arrow more so than the math and the numbers behind it. So I think that's going to be a cool article. Um we're also going to be doing a video to accompany that article, which there'll be a link through Peterson's Bow Hunting on just watching an actual quick arrow build, which will be good. And I think I'm going to be doing a live feed or a live takeover for Peterson's Bow Hunting just for people to ask live Q&As about arrows. And I'll also be shooting uh, during this live feed, uh, where I'll have multiple arrows and multiple fletch configurations to be able to just show you real-time um, impact variations based on different types of variables. So should be cool. Um, but no, that'll be good. Aaron, I appreciate – I really value your time, dude. I appreciate everything that you do for the industry. Um, I love how you're just – I love how you're no bullshit. I like that. I like knowing – I like knowing where people stand, uh, no fluff. And, uh, you know, I like, well, one thing I don't like is I don't like when you feel like you have to defend yourself in the industry. Just dude, some people talk shit. Some people talk how it is. And, you know, everyone has different personalities. You, uh, you're a freaking flavorful dude and you say it how it is and i like that so don't change it, it don't people and, off, i know but hey that's your style dude that's your style my style is a lot of times i talk slow and methodical and people fall asleep but that's my style i can't 
change it. That's who I am. And you got to take, take what you like and take what you don't like. And the bottom line is you have good information and you know, whether you're brash about it or not, the information is there because I mean, you're out shooting more than me right now. So, you know, keep at it, dude. And I appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, let me know when you want to do one of your podcasts. We'll, uh, we'll talk, talk stuff for sure. Definitely, definitely, man. And, yeah, I definitely appreciate everything you do as well. It certainly saves me a ton of time because you are a perfect person to pawn everyone off of. And I'm like, John already did it. Go here. Go look. You know, it's great. So, no, I appreciate you having me on, man, for sure, and everything that you're doing. All right, cool, man. We'll check everyone later. I got a jet, but knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.